Thanks, Dave. I invite you to turn one last time here. Well, hopefully it's not the last time, but uh, in terms of the sermon series, to James. And uh, tried to finish this up before I went on sabbatical last uh, summer here back in June, but uh, didn't work out that way. And so it's kind of like life. Sometimes it just doesn't work out that way. So we're going to tie things up this morning in the book of James. We've been going through that. It's towards the end of your Bible. If uh, you're newer and trying to figure out where it is and, um, or on your Bible app, you can just find the book of James. We're going to be looking at three different verses here towards the end. And um, James has been writing this letter to a group of churches in Asia Minor, which is really like Turkey and uh, Syria area where it's all right there in the Mediterranean, all these churches, modern-day Turkey is what we would call it today. Um, and they're, they're people that came out of the synagogue. These are, these are Israelites and, and came, to under, came, came to understand that Jesus is the Messiah. So they're now Christ followers but there's a lot of stuff they pulled in from their past. And James is writing this letter, and he's just taken on one thing after another of, of truth, of, of behavior in terms of immorality and saying, hey, look, guys, you're wandering from the truth. You've got to come back here. You've you got to come back here. And he's trying to pull all of them back, all these churches back. And that's what his letter really is about. It's pretty hard-hitting. It's just one thing after another of making sure that this church stays on track and, and following the, you know, Christ's word and his call in their lives. And so we're finally here towards the end. We've got one more shot of like, hey, look, you got to come back. And then we've got his last couple thoughts as he closes his letter. And as we start this, um, this message here, there's a question I don't know whether we think about very often, but how many vows, how many times have you sworn something in your life? Have you ever thought about that? Like, how many times have you done that? You make a vow or you swear to do something. As kids, I remember swearing, and you'd, you'd have all kinds of different forms of, swear, you know, making the vow, the, I swear to do it, I promise, cross my heart, hope to die, I pinky swear it, I don't know what other forms you guys took, I swear on my mother's grave, I don't know how that one got started, mom, sorry about that, uh, you're, you remember these little vows you would make back in the day, I swear to do it. And then you grow up and you start realizing, okay, there's, there's other vows that are even more serious than the ones maybe we make when we're kids. And then you start to see people like, you know, they'll do a blood vow and cut their hand and shake. And you're like, wow, that's kind of gross. And why would you do that? Like, you got to like mingle blood. Um, then yesterday we had a vow and, and that was, a, there was a wedding here. And this husband and wife made these incredible, crazy vows to be with each other and love each other for the rest of their lives, no matter what may come. And they were young and wild, outrageous vows in the name of the Lord, right? We make vows when we're at court. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? And we all say, I do. We put our hand on the Bible. We make all kinds of different vows. There's formal ones. There's informal ones. James, though, writes an interesting thing. He says this in chapter 5, verse 12. But above all, brothers and sisters, don't swear 
by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Well, what do you do with that? I mean, we just had a vow up here on stage. We're real comfortable putting our hand on a Bible and saying, so help me God. I mean, we do all kinds of vows, and James is saying, don't vow, don't swear. So what do we do? Are wedding vows wrong? Swearing on the Bible wrong? Jesus, actually he quotes Jesus, and it's right out of Matthew. You'll see it up on the screen. It says this. Again, you've heard that it was said to the, and now Jesus is talking to people in the temple, to those of old, which is back in Moses' day, so 1,400 years before Christ, something like that. Don't quote me on that. I think it's about 1,400 years. You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head. Like I guess somebody would say, I'd swear on my head. I guess, I don't know. For you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Yikes. James says you'll bring condemnation on yourself. Jesus is like, dude, anything else you guys start vowing is evil. He amps it up. You know, I, I've read this passage over the years in True Confessions. I've always been confused by it. Like, what do you do with that? I mean, okay, I know I'm not supposed to, like, swear or, uh, you know, make a vow, that kind of a thing, but but people still do, and what's the big deal, and what was really going on there, because I don't understand all this swearing by your head and by Jerusalem and, and whatever. Well, back in the Old Testament, if you go back and you look, when God was starting this nation, he came to Moses, and he said, hey, look, I want you guys, you're going to do all these things, and I want Israel to take a vow and it really was a marriage. That You look back and you see when Israel's before God, he has this kind of a wedding vow. You do, you take me. Yes, we take you. Do I take you? Yes, I do take you. You will follow me and do all these things, right? Yes, we will. We vow and I vow to keep my word, God says. And so there's this union, there's marriage that happens in Deuteronomy and then the rest of the Old Testament is consistently them breaking the vow. In fact, Deuteronomy 10 does say, in fact, fear the Lord your God and serve him, hold fast to him, take your oaths, your vows in his name. And so you'll see throughout the Old Testament, as surely as the Lord lives by the God on high, you read all these different vows and it's just one vow broken after another. In fact, you get to this one famous prophet and, and it's simply him and his wife, and it's this infidelity thing that continuously happens in the marriage, and God has the prophet be himself and say, I want you to show how faithful I am. Continue to pursue, continue to love, continue. And it's just this broken vow after broken vow after broken vow. And there's a bunch of other vows like that. And then finally you get to Jesus He's in the temple, and, and he's had it. He just is like, all right, everybody out of the pool. We're done. Out, get out. 
No more vows. I'm tired of the vow thing. We're all over the vow thing. Stop it. Knock it off. No more. And you're like, what in the world? His, his level of intensity, that's what's so confusing really to me. It's like, why is Jesus all amped up on this? Well, there's a whole lot more going on. And, and, and what's going on is, is really what you see on the playgrounds, right? You know, remember back in the day, had my fingers crossed, had my legs crossed, hands were crossed, right? You, can, you say these things, but didn't mean it. And we watch kids do this, and we did this ourselves, but as adults, we get a little bit bigger, a little bit more sophisticated, and we're better at lying, and we're better at deceiving, and, and better at blowing it off, whatever, it, whatever, right? Well, what happened in Jesus' time is you had the books of the law, which was like, you know, you Moses, the books, you Genesis, Exodus, Vedics, Numbers, and then you had all the other books. But then you had this other parallel book that was being written by all the rabbis and all the scholars, and it was how do you understand this? And they had all these rules and interpretations and stuff like this. Well, they had a whole section in this thing, like a big section on what vows count and what vows don't count. I mean, it's out of control. It, it was just, it was part of the culture because people were always making vows and breaking them and saying, well, that wasn't on this and that wasn't on that. And, and Jesus has had it because these are his people and they're always breaking their word and their vows. And he takes those things seriously. So you get to the end of his ministry, Matthew 23, he's really ticked off because he keeps hearing it. And so you see what he says up here. He goes, woe to you blind guides. Now he's talking to the spiritual leaders, the ones who are keeping this little parallel book over here. How do you interpret the Bible? And he says, woe to you if you say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if you swear by the gold of the temple, oh, well, <laughs> You got to keep it then. You blind fools is what Jesus says. For which is greater? Next, next verse here. The gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred. And, and you who say if anyone swears by the altar, well, that doesn't count if you swore by the altar. And they should have known that. <laughs> but if anybody swears by the gift on the altar, oh, now you're bound. Oh, yeah, you're toast. You got to keep it. You blind men, women. That was the culture of the time. This counts, but that doesn't count. This is right, that's right. Well, they should know better. If you vowed on that, it doesn't count at all. Like, what were they thinking? It made it into a circus. That's why Jesus said, anything beyond your yes and no is just evil. James says it brings condemnation on you. I mean, you catch how ridiculous this is. So they're playing games. And it's happening in the church. They're bringing that into the church. And James is just like, look, that, that is not the way God's people live. It's just not. Being people of truth, that, that's what we are. Radical truth where you're simply comfortable saying yes or no, and letting the chips fall where they may. You don't have to make a vow. And you ever wonder why we do those vows? I was thinking about that a lot the last several weeks. Why do we make vows? Well, people to take us seriously, right? 
Like, I swear it. Ooh, he swears it. <laughs> Got to take him seriously now. I swear to God. Oh, he would never bring God's name into it unless, or she wouldn't unless, well, she's going to do it now. She really means it. We want people to back off, so bring God on our side, right? The problem with making vows is that it creates several problems. The first one is this, is that it brings God into it when we swear. And God says, look, you, there's nothing in heaven you could swear by. There's nothing on earth you can swear by that doesn't bring me in. I'm the creator of everything, even you. And when we swear something, even though we don't try to bring God's name into it, we've already brought God's name into it. And that's a problem because if you go back and you read one of the Ten Commandments, number three, it says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You will not misuse the name of God. The problem is as soon as we start to swear, we are misusing the name of God. And by swear, I mean the 99% of the time that we do this where it's impulsively, we really haven't talked to God at all. We're just all hopped up, angry, passionate, whatever it is. And God's like, you never talk to me. Don't bring me into that. Don't misuse my name. And that's the problem. It drags God's name into the mud because we're not going to keep that vow. Or it's a vow he would never have us make anyway. That's why even saying, oh my God, if it's not in a sacred context, it's a dangerous thing. It brings, it's offensive to him because his name is holy. It's not to be misused. So that's the first problem with, with making these vows or swearing something like that. The second problem it, it creates is it starts to provoke in people's minds, especially if we get into a pattern of this, of when is this person serious and when is this person not serious? So, okay, so you, you're going to swear it here, so, oh, now I'm serious. So what's the rest of this? What's the rest of your talk? What's the rest of your speech? What are the, what's, what's the rest of your life? So you're serious here, but you're not serious here, so we really got to take your word here, but don't believe a word she says over here. It creates a dichotomy. Two different things, right? A false dichotomy. There is no such things as a serious moment and an unserious moment when we're talking about our word. It's yes is yes, no is no, that's it. And, and that appeal for, I remember sometimes I would, when I was preaching early on and, and uh, my wife, she said, Scott, when, you know, because I would say, well, now, folks, I'm going to be serious here for a second. And she says, Scott, whenever you say that, I always wonder, well, what was the last 10 minutes about? And so I stopped saying it because I'm like, oh, I never thought of it like that. I was just being serious for a second. She's like, that's the problem. Either it all is or it all isn't. Like, and that's life. And it creates a dichotomy. It creates a division in our life. And the problem, as you look at this, is... is as, as God starts to look at our life, I think there's something we need to keep in mind is when we make a vow, God will hold us to it. 
I think we kind of forget he's out there sometimes when we make vows. He remembers vows. I was talking to a couple of guys after the church service, and, and, and they were saying how you look at the history of Israel back when it started with Abraham or, and then with Moses and the Mosaic Covenant and that promise, and the rest of the Old Testament, New Testament is about the story of Israel breaking the vow and God, God bringing accountability and ultimately laying it on his son. But then you even see Revelation. It's just all this, this judgment and condemnation because of broken vows. It's a serious thing. Does that mean we should never make a vow? No. Even Paul said, as God is my witness. He wrote that in Scripture, which if it's in Scripture, I think we're okay. Paul says that a couple times. As God is my witness. So it's not wrong making a vow. It's just that it should be the exception to the norm and it should be very rare. In fact, I wonder if we should be able to count them on both hands. I'm not saying that's the rule. Nowhere in scripture. I'm not now writing a little parallel book here. I don't know how do we do this thing. I'm just saying it might be wise to remember the vows we make and that they should be that sparingly used that we could remember them all. So a wedding vow in the name of God is an appropriate thing, but you better keep it because it brings condemnation when we break it. A vow to tell the truth is appropriate in a court of law, but we better hold the vow or there will be condemnation on us. Serious. Those kind of things. It's, it's pretty big. And then you're done. You've done your vow court things over you walk away and you're still a, a man who says yes is yes as nose is a nose a woman who when she says yes her yes is yes or no is no and you just move on it's not wrong to say vows i had to say a vow make a swear when i was coming into ministry there's this whole moment will you serve god will you follow this in the name of god i say this i mean it's it's a big deal and there comes a greater, of, a greater sense of responsibility and dread should I ever break that vow in a way that destroys the church and God. There's appropriate times. The third problem with it is this. As we look at vows, is, um, and I don't think we understand this totally. You see it in the Word, but... The problem is that we've been given incredible power and authority. We are spirit beings. Every person on this planet is, whether they follow Christ or not, we are spirit beings. We have been given power and authority. And I don't think we appreciate how much power and authority you've been given, especially when we become followers of Christ. He says you have, as a follower of Christ, the power to bind things on earth and bind things in heaven and loosen things on earth and loosen things in heaven. It's serious power. And we just kind of make these vows and we don't even realize what we're doing and how we've actually now bound ourselves to something. And you think about how much those, how many vows or how, what proportion of them are just impulsive. You know, we haven't thought through them. 
90%, 95%, 99% of them are just impulsive ones. I'll never do that again, or I'll do this, and I promise I'm in, and haven't really talked to God, and yet we have now bound ourselves spiritually to this. We've bound ourselves relationally, emotionally. It is. We, we, we've made these vows, and they're significant, and we don't understand or appreciate the significance. For instance, a lot of vows that I see happen within the body of Christ, and I would say in the world, are made out of pain. They're made out of wounds. They're made in the heat of arguments. They're made in the moment of rage or anger and passion. And they're not vows God would have us make. In our ministry, as we've done this over the last 15 years and even a, a previous church, I see over and over again, I saw it in my own life, we make vows and we don't even realize it. And so, you know, when we talk about, you know, bringing people and trying to help people understand who they are in Christ and then through a process of life confession and understanding, hey, what's holding you back? Let's get you free. I'm, I think we're batting 100% on everyone who comes through having made vows. And what do I mean? Well, let's say your mom, your dad hurts you or your brother, your sister hurts you or a friend hurts you and you say, I will never let someone close to me ever again. That's a vow. You have just sworn to do something. Sworn to do something that God would never have you swear to do, but you've done it out of pain, out of self-protection, and so guess what? Now you're isolated the rest of your life. Now you do this the rest of your life, and you can't have Christian community. You can't have fellowship with God because you've made a vow. You can have fellowship with God, but you're blocked because you have a vow, and you can only go so far. I will never, I will always, I will only. Those kind of vows. You're like, that's a vow? That's a vow. It constrains us. And I've seen people over and over again held to that. People say, I'll make them pay. I'm never going to forget this. I'm never going to forgive them. I'll never. Those are vows, ungodly vows. That's why it's so dangerous. That's why it's so problematic. I did this. I mean, I, was, I went to Moody and got a music composition degree, had some really bad experiences, really wounded me, and I never knew this, but I made this vow. I'll never write music again. You know, forget this. And stopped writing music. And it wasn't, that was 93, it wasn't until like 2005, 2007, we were out in Nyack and we were going through this whole course on spiritual direction and healing and all this stuff and all of this, I'm in the middle of this time and they're praying for me and this comes out of nowhere and I'm like, you know, I'm a basket case, like what in the world, like why don't you write music anymore and, and I'm like, well, because I, and it literally I vowed I'd never write it again. And they said, is that a vow God would want you to make? And I'm like, no. And that's the danger of vows like that. It would keep us from doing even that which God has gifted us to do, but we're doing it out of pain. Vows are powerful things. They should be used sparingly. And instead, we become people just radically committed 
to only in few moments do we vow, but the rest of the time we are just comfortable saying yes and no and not trying to be bigger than that, not trying to be greater than that, just building a reputation of yes and no so that when somebody, you know, 15 years down the road goes, yeah, you can trust them. They didn't vow it. They didn't promise. But they, did they tell you they were going to do it? Yeah. She's a woman of truth. Take her to the bank. She'll do it. He's a man of truth. It'll happen. Just sit back. Just wait. Radical commitment to truth. Yes be yes, no be no. James ends it with this. My brothers, if any one of you, in verse 19, among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wanderings, her wanderings, this can be either way, or men or women, will save his soul or her soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The end. He spent five chapters trying to turn people who are wandering from the truth back, and he ends with this positive note of, of redemption that says, look, don't quit on people. Don't quit because, because you, you have this possibility or potential that God may be using you to pull them back and to save them from all kinds of sin, save them from death. I like how he ends it on redemption. Don't quit on people. Keep trying. Keep pursuing people. You know, over the years, if you walk with Christ long enough, you're going to see people wander from the faith, wander from truth. Christ saw it. Paul saw it. I mean, he talks about how much it grieved him to see people walk away. Jesus even gave an illustration of the seed truth and how only one, the four different places the seed fell on this soil and only one grew. The rest of them, something happened. One got choked out by the weeds. One had too shallow of a soil. One had fell on hard ground and the birds took it away. And, he, and he's like, even I, I think of that one where it got choked out by the weeds, it, that wandering and it's going to happen. It is. And we even sing that song, that old hymn, you know, my soul prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, right? Come thou fount. It's the song. People are going to wander. You and I possibly are going to wander or have struggle with that or have and have come back. And he's seeing it in all these churches and he's trying to call them back and he's, he ends with just don't quit because the outcome, if you look at it from that person's point of view, if they could do turn, they're going to realize, oh, oh my, thank you, thank you for not quitting on me. And there's a right way and a wrong way to approach someone who's wandering. And I love how God gives illustrations to me. Great illustrations. This last Sunday was a great illustration of how to pull someone back who is wandering. In the first service, I, you guys didn't hear this, I kind of referenced it, but in the first service, 
we were talking about different phases of life and how I was in this phase from power to wisdom and then how I, in the first service, insulted everybody who was 65 and over by saying they're in this stage of life that goes from wisdom to irrelevance. I called everybody irrelevant. And, you know, you have those moments where you're just like, that just came out of my mouth and now I've just insulted everyone who's 65 and older and everyone who would be related to somebody who's 65 and older. So I pretty much insulted the whole church uh, in that first service. And here, here's how you approach somebody who is wandering from the truth. Now, was I wandering far? No, but there's an element in there that, look, if you go down that road, you start to destroy people. It's, it's wrong, so let's stop that right now. So I had a lot of people, 65 and older, come up to me over this past week from that service. And uh, you know what is interesting? Not one of them made me pay for it. Not one of them. Not one of them came at me, even though I had insulted them. And, and, and it stung. That stings. But not one of them made me pay for it. They came up to me very graciously. And one even said, hey, this is a way you may want to think about how you say it. I understand. They gave me the benefit of the doubt. I understand what you're trying to say, but this is probably a better word. And it was a great word. And, and most of them just came up to me going, really? Like, and made fun of me. Like, that's all I got all week was, hey, we don't need to talk about the word. The word's not important. I have, I have found the light, Kurt. Oh, my goodness. You ever think about how you would want to be approached if you were wandering from the truth? I would want to be approached like they approached me. Hey, what's going on? Or, hey, do you, did you think through that? <laughs> but kind. They had the benefit of the doubt. They gave me room to... To go to own it. You're going to see people, I'm going to see people who wander. And what they're going to want and need more than anything is love and grace and mercy. Because the truth, when you hear the truth and you have wandered, it's, it's painful enough. It is its own pain when you're on the wrong path. It hurts. And to have somebody not make you pay for it or make you feel even worse, but to say, hey, I love you. That's how we want to be approached, right? There's a bad way of doing it, too. There's a really bad way. Um, and that is to see this as a license to go around blowing people out of the water who are wandering from the truth. And, and I did this in high school. I memorized this verse, and I would just go up to people and confront them. And then when they started to get upset, I said, hey, look, the person who turns a sinner from the error of ways, you know, I've just saved you from death. You should be thanking me. I know it hurts, but I love you. This, right? I would do that. Oh, it was awful. I blew people out of water all the way up, even in Missoula. There's, there's just a sorrow in my heart at several people I heard in Missoula, Montana, and a couple people I heard up here because I did it so poorly. And, and what, what happens is, and I see this in the church, I did it, and I see other people do it, and I'm like, Ay. 
is, is there's this, you know, God gives us gifts, right? They're called spiritual gifts, and one of them's called prophecy, and that's, it's, there's two different pro- kinds. There's one that's foretelling, and there's one that's truth-telling. Foretelling is like future events, and, and truth-telling is, hey, I see the truth of what is happening in life and in this person and, and people around me, and so I'm going to speak truth into that. And, and, and what happens is often is people go around thinking, oh, I've got the gift of prophecy, so I, that, that's code for I get to blow everybody up out of the water and not feel bad about it, right? That's what it is, and, and, and that's what I would do, and I've heard people here do that. I've heard somebody even recently, yeah, I got the gift of prophecy, and I'm like, I just get a rash anymore, like when I hear that, because it's like, don't say that. Just don't. You don't have the gift. At this point, don't. No. <laughs> That's not how God would have us use our gifts. The people that I see that have the gift of prophecy, they never, one, they never talk about it. They never really want to know whether they do or not because it comes with great responsibility. And there's a judgment that will come if it's used incorrectly. And especially with a self-righteous attitude of blowing people out of the water. No, when we see somebody wandering from the truth, we don't go and blow people up out of the water. We go and love them and say, perhaps. And I'm wondering, do you see this? I'm seeing this. I, I, I don't know. You ask the Holy Spirit to give you the words. Those moments when someone comes back are powerful. It's, it's what we live for, right? To see the, the person who wanders come back because it, it just continues to affirm God is still in the business of rescuing people. Jesus said, I didn't come to seek, I didn't come to judge, I didn't come to condemn, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. So we don't have to go and judge and condemn people if they're wandering because Jesus is saying, look, until that time is finished, that's what I'm doing. I am going to keep on pursuing people. So don't blow them up because I'm not done. And it's a story to us that goes, God still, he still rescues even us, you and me. You may have people in your life that are wandering and you've had conversations and it just doesn't go anywhere and it's difficult and they're not receiving it you don't have to win it's not ours to win it's God's it's ours to love and to very graciously and gently as the spirit leads show truth and when the spirit doesn't zip it just love Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you still love, you just love to pull people back to you. Lord, would you send us out today? A lot's been said, a lot's been sung, lots of thoughts and uh, I pray you would send us out, each one of us, Lord, with exactly what you want us to be doing and hearing from you. Not from any man or woman, but from you this morning.
Amen.